0: Hello, welcome to Dementia Caregivers Community. My name is Marquita Puckett and I'm co-hosting today with Tracy Wilson. I am a family caregiver of my father and my husband for Alzheimer's and Early Onset Alzheimer's and Tracy is the Regional Director for Alzheimer's Tennessee and we've come together in Dementia Caregivers Community to be with you, so welcome. We are so glad that you're joining us for the next few minutes, taking time as maybe you're with your loved one at a doctor's visit, or maybe you're having a quiet moment on a walk, wherever your listening space is right now. We say welcome, and we hope you enjoy these next few minutes, because today we're going to talk about community and the importance of community. One of the greatest challenges of being a caregiver for someone with dementia is the isolation. So today we want to discuss together community. And we're calling this one, When the Casseroles Stop Coming. We talk about the importance of being in community while on the caregiver's journey. And we understand the challenges in staying connected to family and friends. Erosion of a caregiver's community is one of the deepest dangers that can occur during your journey as a caregiver. Now, a Webster definition for community. It's a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests and goals. Synonyms for community. Open, unrestricted group of people, neighborhood, village, kinship, unity, identity, and cooperation. I think by now, if you've been on this journey for any time, you realize that your community is changing. You you don't know why and you don't know how it happened, but you do know that once someone received that diagnosis, your community started changing. The definition itself of community lends to reasons why familiar faces and feelings may change on the caregiver's journey. Now, for me, being part of a new community has been one of my most vital sources of encouragement. My husband and I had moved to a new location for his placement into a memory care facility, so I was a stranger in a new place I was invited to visit a small women's small group meeting and I found a community to thrive. I was thriving by receiving and giving out. They have become my tribe and they are a great source of comfort and sanity. But also attending Alzheimer's support groups throughout my husband's diagnosis has been very beneficial and educational. I receive affirmation from each head nod when I start sharing something and, yes, even complaining. Just because the others understand exactly what I'm experiencing and it's reciprocated, they get it. They understand the emotions. So today, I want to invite Tracy into this conversation with me. And Tracy, you've been doing this for how many years? Twenty-four. So I want to I give you some questions about community. And Tracy, my first one is, what reasons should an individual have for not reaching out to a caregiver? Maybe it's those friends we thought would be there or those family members that we thought would be there. What are some reasons that they would not reach out to a caregiver of someone with dementia?
1: So, that actually is an extremely wonderful question, and one that we're asked many, many times a day. Actually, and I think going back to the title of this particular podcast, when the casseroles stop coming, is part of the answer. You know, they say the answer lies within. And I think that's truly the cause in this case. I believe that. The longest diagnosed case on record as of this moment has been 27 years, and there may be some folks out there that have experienced this journey much longer than that, and some right around that time frame. I think that most people life is busy. We all have other things kind of going on. We have families. There are trips we need to make and children we need to shuffle from here to there. And so I think many times the longevity of the disease process may hinder some individuals. So they may be there and willing and able at the very beginning to be involved and to ask questions and to provide respite and all of those types of things. But then as time goes on, needs change Sometimes folks are uncomfortable. I know that we've worked with many people that they, they'll they say, I, I don't know what to say. You know, I don't know what to say to the person. I don't know what to do while I'm there with the person. And what I typically will advise people to do is we act the way that we always have. We talk about the same things we always have and we gauge whether the person is willing capable of having that type of conversation and then we adjust those we adjust our sights a bit if we see that we do need to change things so I think the longness of the disease I think just the uncomfortable nature of the disease, there there may be fear, there may be trauma or hurt or pain that comes up from a past caregiving experience. I think that all of those are are the main reasons of, of what we see for why someone is hesitant or unsure whether they should reach out to a family caregiver while they're on their journey.
0: Well, Tracy, in all of your years of experience, can you tell us why? Why is community important to a caregiver? I know for me, sometimes I get that. I'm just going to buckle down. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do this attitude. But I had such a shift when I got into community. So why is community important to a caregiver?
1: Well, I think the the attitude that you started off with is very typical. <laughs> um, and I will say that I don't know if it's typical in the United States or if we're just a little more headstrong and independent. And But I think we go back to the no man is an island. And there are so many facets to this disease. There are so many hours in a day that a person is attempting to provide quality of life to another person they're looking to entertain a person many times maybe not with a whole lot of sleep not with a whole lot of respite as we talked about just a couple of moments ago so I think once we realize that we do need to be connected to other individuals especially other individuals that are understanding of what we're going through we don't feel alone we don't feel as isolated. Those feelings of being alone, being isolated, lend way to more feelings of depression and anxiety and overwhelming feelings of fear and grief, regret, all of those things. So I think that we need to have a buddy system, definitely, and as someone to kind of have a checks and balances mm-hmm. type of thing to keep us in reality and we set those realistic expectations of ourselves. I like that check and balances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really good.
0: So, two questions for you, Tracy. It's, and they're sort of opposites or flip flops. What can community look like to a caregiver? And how can a caregiver assist others? and being a part of the journey?
1: So I'll kind of go with what can community look like? And that is a really hard question to answer because everyone's journey is different and everyone's societal norms and what their network looks like is a a little different. So I think definitely reaching out to an organization like Alzheimer's Tennessee, making sure that you have a, to use the big word, a plethora of resources at your hands that you have trained knowledgeable individuals that are going to give you the correct information. I think that's very important. Many times an individual will rely solely on a physician's office and all of the workings inside of that office. And definitely, you know, we need to have a great provider. We need to have a wonderful relationship with that provider. But I think that just, you know, if we're being honest, we all need, for those of us in a a dementia caregiver situation, we need need to have something separate and apart from that. So I think it can look different for each individual person, but that also bleeds into the next question. So those were two great things to put right together. How can a caregiver assist others in being part of the journey? I think one, we have to get to a point that we realize that this is not an embarrassment We don't need to keep it secret. The stigma is slowly being erased, not as quickly as we would like, right? But it is definitely being erased. We know that we don't want to go talk to every single person walking up and down the street. But when we realize this is something that over six, you know, four to six million people living in our country are experiencing, that should lessen the stigma and give us the ability to realize that we're, we're not out there fighting this alone and we need others on our team. So we encourage family caregivers to have a list available. Again, I don't know if this is a United States thing or not, but we do not like asking for help. I think that we have, have equated asking for help to weakness. Yes. And that definitely, definitely needs to be demolished. That is a huge myth that needs to be debunked. So we we have a list of things that are doable that we trust people with. So running those errands, delivering that casserole that we started this with, doing those types of things. And as we become a little more comfortable, a little more knowledgeable, a little more trusting, a little more understanding that we begin to let maybe some bigger things happen. Like someone comes over to stay with our loved one while we go to the grocery store by ourselves or we meet a friend for coffee as we've done a couple of times so we we work on getting to a point that we're able to let go of some of the control but to do that we have to build trust and we have to know that everything's going to be okay before we can we can do that one of the things that was shared with me by caregivers several probably about a decade and a half ago so about 15 years ago I had a caregiver tell me that they were, they were doing it themselves, kind of head down, nose to the grindstone, doing everything that needed to be doing without any assistance until they realized that they were blocking folks' blessing. Mm-hmm. And, and I, right, <laughs> right. Pretty eye opening. And whether, whether we, you know, we think in that vein or we don't, people need to feel good. People need to feel useful. People need to feel like they're making a difference. And if we do not allow those who, again, we've built a circle of trust, understanding, and love with to do some things for us, we're not letting them live out their purpose, perhaps. So when we shift the the dynamic from I am unable to do X, Y, or Z by myself to I am allowing help because I want those who care and love and are worried about me to feel like they're contributing. I think that's a total mindset change and a very helpful to not only the person living with the disease and having other people that are able to interact and those types of things, but also making a difference in the life of the family caregiver as well as the friend and the extended community. So I think what I heard you say was sometimes we have to take the
0: initiative to invite them into our new community.
1: Yes. Yes. We, we, another really good piece of information that I've heard and I've given on multiple occasions is we cannot expect everyone to know what we need. We cannot expect a person to be clairvoyant or to use, you know, sometimes we consider it common sense. (laughs) You know, if you see someone drowning, you throw them a life vest, you throw them a ring. We can't always expect that a person thinks that way or that they feel comfortable doing so because sometimes in offering help, it may be viewed as, you know, we're suggesting. If I offer to help Marquita. That's in some way, shape, or form suggesting that Marquita is unable to control what's going on in her world. So I think, you know, there are people that will reach out and they will ask. There are other people that need to be asked. So, you know, getting ourselves to the point that we don't feel bad about that or we're taking advantage or that it's a lack of ability on our part, because that's definitely not the case.
0: You know, Tracy, one. I remember one meeting and we were talking about this subject of when the casseroles stopped coming. And I remember in the group, it wasn't like we were judging other individuals. We just were almost like trying to deal with, I don't know, maybe a little rejection or disappointment. And so we reached out to a, a lovely member of the support group. And she is the wife of a retired pastor living with dementia and he was in the ministry for over 30 years. Her father was also a pastor, so she was raised in a church community, and then she married and raised her children in the church community, and she was dealing with all these feelings that we're talking about right now. We wanted her insights on how the church community could be helpful to someone who has a loved one with Alzheimer's or dementia, and I just I just want to share with our listeners her response. And She said, that question is difficult for many people. Many are busy with their own lives or out of sight, out of mind. So here's a few ideas I might have that help. So she's just listed a few things. So taken for consideration. Maybe you could pray for the caregiver and their loved ones. Send a card of encouragement. Call and chat, but first make sure the caregiver is available. Invite the caregiver to lunch or to your home for a meal. Take a meal to the family. And ask if you could visit
1: their loved one if you are comfortable doing so. You know, I think that is a wonderful list, a precious lady, as you said earlier. I think that the third one, especially the, the call and chat that makes sure the caregiver is available. You know, there are unfortunately many times we work with many, many families and we may be doing a home visit or we may already be on a call and a person needs to leave a message, which can be very discouraging. So we we get back to them super quickly to make sure that they don't, you know, regret many times someone reaching out. They went through a lot of turmoil just to get to the point that they reach out to someone. So the first thing that I always do without question when I call that person back. They answer the phone. I tell them who I am. And then I immediately ask, is this a good or a bad time to speak? And so they'll, they're they very transparent and honest. They'll say, you know, this is a great time. I just sat down with a cup of coffee. Or I'm in the grocery store, so can I call you back in just a little bit? So I think it's a great idea to definitely reach out, but then make sure it works for them. And if a person isn't necessarily comfortable making a visit, what I would suggest is working to get to the point that we are comfortable. So perhaps go and visit with a person while their primary caregiver is there. It's kind of like we talked about earlier, that overcoming the stigma of reaching out for help and support, sometimes if we're not 100% percent sure about what to say or how to act than just being there being very mm-hmm. social it just kind of makes us feel a little bit a little bit better right so i think that's that's a great idea and now with food with meals of course we love homemade cooking it's wonderful but with uh door and some of those other things it's very simple <laughs> you know to get a meal to an individual with virtually little to no work on our part so even if people are busy they have their own agendas and the own their own things that they need to take care of. Uh, doing that is is pretty pretty quick. So great list, great starting off point. I think that we are definitely on on the in the beginning of uh, giving folks ideas, or again, just letting them know that it's it's okay to reach out for help. It is okay to offer assistance, and it's okay to ask for that assistance when we need it we want to thank our listeners today for being with us and we will see you soon thank you
0: for listening to this episode of the dementia caregivers community podcast you can learn more about the podcast at alztennessee.org slash podcast please review us on your podcast player it helps other caregivers find the community and please join us for the next episode